Tuesday night's speech to a joint session of Congress wasn't technically a State of the Union because, by tradition, a brand new president doesn't know enough yet about the State of the Union to report on it to Congress. But Donald Trump had plenty of other things to say, and he delivered his speech in an almost unprecedentedly normal fashion. What goes forward isn't going to be normal, as this week's Big Story podcast, we hope, will reveal. I'm David Hawkins, Senior Editor at Roll Call, and I'm joined in the studio by my colleague, our White House correspondent, John Bennett. John, we both watched the speech last night. Uh, Like many, many millions of Americans, we watched it uh, from our homes on our TV sets. We were not in the hall. I always like to watch the speech speeches that way because I feel like I, I understand a little bit better how the country's going to see it. Tell me the top couple of things you think you learned last night. We definitely learned that, well, while most of us went in expecting another Donald Trump, Steve Bannon, his chief strategist uh, reality show, what we got was a, a Mike Pence, Rance Priebus production. This was more traditional this sounded more like a presidential address to a joint session of Congress. This did not sound, for instance, like the president um, last week at the CPAC conference uh, just outside of Washington when he lambasted the media, attacked Democrats. Uh, he stuck to the prompter. When was the last time Donald Trump did that? We definitely learned that there are factions within the White House. I think that is crystal clear. You've got the Steve Bannon, Stephen Miller uh, used to be Mike Flynn. Of course, he's gone now. Faction. You've got what appears to be the more, I guess, establishment Republican faction, Mike Pence, uh, Rance Priebus. And um, and I think it was clear last night the influence of a third faction, his daughter, Ivanka, and her husband, who's one of his top aides, uh, Jared Kushner. Out of nowhere, seemingly, uh, the president was talking about uh, some kind of federal child care program and, and paid family leave. And I think we know that came from that third faction. There are times when, you know, we're on the Hill, I'm on the Hill and talking to Republicans. And I, I, I do wonder if they grasp what we learned again last night. This is a very big government agenda. This is a lot of spending, uh, a lot of new programs, adding, uh, you know, defense spending, adding border security guards, I mean, th- it's really striking when, when you take a step back. You're, you're, you're exactly right, obviously, and it, and no way was that more clear than to look at the president at the podium and see the two guys behind him uh, who are uh, leaders of a very different sort of republicanism, the kind of republicanism that really was the dominant f- uh, republican orthodoxy for the last uh, three decades, fiscal prudence, uh, reforming of entitlements, um, offsetting cuts, uh, not public works, uh, and and then here is the president really advocating a very sort of a populist. You know, he's the he was the advocate of his base, which is you know white male uh, suburban and rural voters who want things done for them. Uh, so I thought it was I thought it was uh, remarkable, and it that kind of sets us up for sort of what happens next, which is how does Donald Trump persuade his friends in the Republican Party, his newfound friends, his frenemies, his friends without any choice, to go with him now on this on this uh, policy-making journey. Does he or does he not? And where are the frictions ahead? If he's going to try to persuade Republicans to go along with him, he did very little of a, any kind of sales pitch, really, on any of his, his issues. 
it it is not a traditional uh, Paul Ryan Mike Pence agenda. It is you know I would take some descriptors that that Steve Bannon has used. I would call it something like Trump nationalist populist type agenda um, for all the reasons we've been discussing. So how he gets Republicans to go along with him, I think, is still maybe even more so after last night, an open question and one that we don't really have any answers to. Again, he did not try to sell Republicans. He he did a little trying to sell uh, Democrats to to jump on board on some things, but he didn't he didn't really do any any outreach to his own party. So how he gets this done is a, is a mystery. I wrote down some words that just that came to mind after, you know, sleeping on it after watching the speech and then, um, you know, thinking on it this morning. And I, I think vague is a really good description of what we saw last night. As we wrote uh, in, in our main story after the speech last night, you know, he didn't put a lot of policy specifics on a lot of these, the, what are still promises. You know, we, we still haven't seen a piece right. of legislation go from the White House down Pennsylvania Avenue uh, into the Capitol. And he didn't really explain to lawmakers, here's what I want you to do, or something very similar, and here's how I want you to do it, or here's why I want you to do it. Right, sort of an important reminder, a great point that you just made, which is we're now 40-some-odd 40 days into this administration. The president has yet to actually send a bill to the Hill for its consideration. By this point, in eight years ago, in the start of the Obama administration, they'd already cleared uh, a, a $790 billion economic rescue package that actually cleared and he'd signed an expansion of the children's health insurance program when Bush uh, 43, George W. Bush, eight years before that, came into office. By this point, he'd already sent his tax bill to Congress. He'd sent a, a, an overhaul of the education. The no, What became the No Child Left Behind was already in the process. So we're off here to a quite a slow policymaking start for all of what the president said at the start of his speech last night about what he'd done. This was really the first time he'd even come close to asking Congress for anything. And other than making some overtures to the House Republicans on some of their ideas for replacing the Obamacare bill, and other than sounding somewhat supportive of a couple of tax ideas that Paul Ryan has, I didn't hear many specifics at all. But what I did hear was an enormously long list. And you and I, as having watched Congress, knows that they there's not really enough political capital to do all five, six, seven, eight things that he mentioned. Everything from child care, a trillion dollars in infrastructure, remake Obamacare, oh, yeah. a ta- not to mention a tax overhaul. Right. It's, it's a very long list. It's a very ambitious agenda. Um, and and li- like you're saying, it, and the ca- the legislative calendar isn't isn't really, it's never that long. It's not, you know, they're, they're not in session uh, a ton of time in a year, they're not in in session a lot. You know, this year to do all of the things that 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 the president laid out, they don't usually work Fridays. So it's hard to see how you can come in and you know how you can work Monday night to sometime early Thursday afternoon and, and get all of all of these things done. It's an open question why um, the president uh, just kind of vacillates from issue to issue, grabs things. It, it really seems like he's just right now looking for a win on anything. So he's asked about the immigration, or maybe they discussed it before he met with, with the network anchors before the speech, and all of a sudden he's open to an immigration reform bill. Um, 
you start down that path, uh, you know, maybe you get a gang of eight together again in the Senate and try to write something. The White House is involved. Every time he adds something to this agenda, he slows down the other items because it just and and as as CQ is written, um, CQ roll call is written. The 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 bandwidth, so to speak, on the Hill for writing bills that can pass is kind of atrophied over you right. know, the last decade or so. So every time he adds something to the list that he wants Congress to do, it's going to slow down everything else. Great point. And then so you I'm glad you mentioned the immigration uh, matter, because I thought that was a fascinating illustration of how how he is struggling even in a couple of hours before the most uh, an evening that he pulled off as the most scripted normal i mean dare dare we say sort of a normal presidential address it it kind of was by the book mm-hmm. he walked in when he was supposed to he shook everybody's hand he stood at the podium he handed the script up you know he he acted entirely by the book presidential but just a few hours before he sort of shocked all the and and, and as part of that script is this traditional lunch with all the big-time news anchors who come to Washington for these speeches. And he just kind of threw away that script. Right. You, you're over there every day. What makes you think, what, if anything, makes you think that he will stay on script from here going forward? Well, going back to the immigration issue and, and whether he pulled that off according to the script, he throws that out with the anchors that he's open to a comprehensive bill, maybe open to a path um, to citizenship for some uh, undocumented individuals. But then, and this this is kind of an embodiment of the White House right now, so he opens that door to what would be a big compromise with, with Democrats, and then during the speech, they don't pull language saying that he's ordered the Department of Homeland Security to set up a new office focused on American victims of crimes conducted by immigrants. Democrats groaned Audibly, they were shocked. Our colleague Bridget Bowman, who was in the chamber, told us that that they were visibly, I guess, disgusted is the only word you can use. They were so shocked, and I thought that was one of the really striking moments. So even when this president in this White House tries to reach out and tries to change the tone, they still go back to those hardline instincts. Um, and even as they're sort of toggling back and forth, as you say, so this this circles back to the factions, and presumably when he said that to the anchors, he might have been listening to one faction, but then the afternoon happened, uh, and presumably another faction got to him and said, no, 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 you can't, you, you can't go there. We're, gonna, we're not going to add right. language to the speech. We're going to stick with the speech we've got. Uh, me- meanwhile, uh, these factions, they're ultimately a relatively small number of people who are running the country. Uh, there are an, an, an enormous number of chairs in this government to be filled. Uh, and I'm the confirmation process is moving along very slowly. That's only of the top seats, the top cabinet seats. After that, he's got hundreds of undersecretaries, ambassadors, boards, commissions, lots of jobs to fill. What are you hearing about how that's moving along? It is not moving along very quickly. There are whispers in some in some circles around town that uh, they're having trouble finding people willing to, A, work for this president based on, you know, kind of the first, the campaign rhetoric and the, the elbow throwing and the, the, the bumpy first five weeks, you know, why would I want to subject myself and my family to what looks like a dysfunctional workplace a lot of the time? So they're, they're, they're having trouble finding people that want to fill these, these lower level jobs. Uh, President Obama had some some trouble doing that, but that was because of um, 
he had uh, some ethics rules and things. And I'm also have heard that folks don't necessarily want to um, don't necessarily want to put themselves up against uh, Senate Democrats and, and really be uh, pulled through that process right now. But I think it's a combination of all those factors. That's what, you know, people, you don't want to go through um, the normal White House vetting, and then you don't want to have a contentious hearing while also going into a workplace that right now um, a lot of times just doesn't look like a very fun place to work. Has it been fun for you, John? It has been fascinating. It has been a whirlwind, whirlwind of activity, even when there's not a lot of there there. Um, there were a couple days this week where, you know, you have story ideas, you have your own ideas that you want to, you want to start pursuing those stories, start, start your reporting. And you can't, you can't even get close to doing those kind of enterprise stories because there's so much happening Mm -hmm. at the White House or, uh, there's so much happening on the Hill that's related to the White House. And some days, uh, my colleagues and I, uh, at the White House, you know, you kind of feel like a fireman, uh, a fireman, and you're just running around putting out fires, uh, trying to help your colleagues understand something the White House is doing or not doing or doing a bad job of explaining. So it has been an around-the-clock chaos, and I don't mean that as a pejorative, but it has felt a lot of times like chaos. And, and last week, as we wrote last Friday, they almost pulled off uh, a routine week last week. It felt like a normal White House, like a normal functioning entity. And then, you know, Steve Bannon made some comments at CPAC, and then the next day the president started on Friday uh, tweeting about the FBI being incompetent, and then he went to CPAC and really lambasted the press and Democrats, and the wheels just felt like they just came off last Friday, and that just feeds the chaos, and I don't think they've really gotten them back on. There's a lot of talk that maybe last night was kind of riding the ship, but as the first five weeks have shown, you know, at any moment things could get could get chaotic again. And and when they do, John John Bennett, our White House correspondent, will will be there. He is not an enemy of the American people. He is a dedicated journalist and public servant. Uh, he joined us for the Big Story podcast this week with me, David Hawkins, senior editor at CQ Roll Call. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on NPR One.